Could you take out your Bibles, open up to the book of Luke? We're going to begin in verse 57. Luke chapter 1, verse 57. Before we start, I'd just like to pray that God would bless his, his word. Let's uh, bow. God, we come to you again, and just I, my, my request is really simple. Just help us to understand this word and breathe new life into us. In Christ's name, amen. I want to begin by asking you a question, and this question is, for many of you, um, it's a hard question to answer. Have you ever in your life might be right now, ever feel like you've been fired by God, that he has, he's fired you. I don't mean that you've lost your salvation or he's kicked you out of his family, but rather he's put your life on hold. When you look at everybody else, maybe it's your family, members of the church, it seems like, boy, they're all doing something. Everybody else is, they're meeting with God, enjoying God, but for me, I feel left behind. Have you ever felt like God fired you? I'll never forget when my wife and I about, uh, oh, we were, when we first got married, we were going to go on the mission field to Russia, but we were not allowed to go for about a year and a half. So we had to get a job. And I got a job working in just this obscure Toyota dealership where I washed cars and I rotated tires. While she got a job in a coffee shop, it was kind of hard, and we got invited up to work at Lake Ann Baptist Camp after the season was over. And we lived in a tiny little KOA hut. And I had to clean toilets, and she had to scrub dishes. And we did that in total obscurity. It felt like, does anybody know we are alive? Does God really want to use me? It felt like we were fired. It's almost, there are times in life where God renders us completely useless. We don't feel we're any good. And we even ask, I wonder, is this a permanent condition? I once lost my voice for a whole week. It was right when I... Right before I became the senior pastor here, and I lost my voice for a whole week, and I wondered, what if I never get it back? My life's ruined. It's over. Have you ever felt that, where you are just put on hold? Today we're going to see a man who I believe has, was asked by God to take a time out, to humble him, but also to open his mind up to the bigger story. I think this time out being rendered useless is God's way to say, just hold on. Your life is not about you. There's bigger things going on. And we need to be, in a sense, set aside by God for a while to figure that out. Well, this person's name is Zechariah. And we read about his story in verses 57 to the end of chapter 1. But I'm just going to read the first, oh, 11 verses. Starting verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth. And she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her. And they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. They would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to her father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet. And he wrote, His name is John. 
And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed. And he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. That's what we're going to look at. It's a very straightforward story. If you remember, about three weeks ago, we talked about Elizabeth. She was old. God told Zechariah she'd give birth. He kind of laughed at it, so didn't laugh at it, but questioned it. So the angel made him not able to speak. Nine months later, full-term pregnancy, she has a baby boy. They bring him to the temple eight days later. That's a normal practice to get him circumcised, and at that time he's going to get his name. So normally every child at that day would get their father's name, but their father couldn't speak, so they asked his mom. Elizabeth said, his, no, his name's not Zachariah. It will be John. They're kind of questioned, so they start hand-signaling. Not The guy can still hear. I don't know why they're hand-signaling him. Did you ever do that with a guy who speaks a different language? You, you talk a little louder? I can hear you, no, no comprende, you know. Anyhow, that's what's happening here. They're giving him hand signals. He takes out a little slate tablet, and he writes, his name is John. And then his voice is unleashed, and he just praises God. That's, that's the story, rather simple. To me, I believe it's also the story of the end result of a mandatory sentence of nine months of silence for Zechariah. And I believe he needed it to become the perfect father John the Baptist needed. All through the book of Luke, I think his everyday life, God is working to glorify Jesus. Absolutely. That's the main plot. But I think there's a lot of subplots going on that include you and me and our role. So in a way you could say, while God is always moving to glorify his son, he never stops shaping us and our character. He's always working on us. Like every good author... His side stories are just as important to him as the main story. And specifically in this case, Zechariah is going to play a key role because he's going to raise, be the father of John the Baptist, the voice that precedes Jesus Christ. And the way he works on Zechariah is he renders him silent for nine months. And I think God does this with all of us every once in a while. So I call this, the sound of silence. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. You guys know that? Simon and Garfunkel? Good music. Good music. Anyhow, the sound of silence, that's what I call this. If you remember, Zechariah really didn't believe God when the angel told him his wife was going to have a baby. He thought it was probably illogical, but he was too wise to believe. His wife was too old. So he didn't exercise faith. And because he didn't exercise faith, the angel said, you will be quiet for nine months. That's a long time. That's a long time. In my reckoning, as he, I meditated on this, that was God's plan to just shut him up for a little while. I call this God's silent treatment. And I know a lot of you in here. I know some of you have felt that God has taken you out of the game and put your life on hold. Maybe you lost a job. Maybe you thought you'd be in ministry. You never were. Maybe your relationship, somebody left you. But you feel like you've been set aside. I mean, look, look at verses 59 to 60. 
to me, this had to be very humbling for Zechariah. It says, on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. That's what you do in the Jewish culture. The baby would go to the temple to be circumcised. And then they, it says, and then they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But where is his dad? Sitting in the background, not able to speak, so they got a, to me, kind of humbling. The mom has to speak up. In that culture, the dad was the leader. No, Elizabeth has to, and she says, no, no. His name will be called John. Elizabeth's making all the decisions now. Zechariah is a mute wallflower, taking the back seat. That had to, that had to damage his pride. I find that God will often use a silent treatment on us when he wants to get our attention. He gives you heavenly timeouts. You feel literally like you're forgotten by him. We're even worthless. There's no purpose in my life. Have you ever gotten a timeout from your mom and dad or been sent to bed early? I was the youngest of six kids. I can remember some summers when I had to go to bed at 8 o'clock and all my brothers and sisters got to stay up till 11 to play capture the flag outside. And there I was sleeping in my Cleveland Browns pajamas, pouting. It's terrible to be left behind like that. But that's, I bet you that's the feeling Zachariah had when he was mute for nine months. Couldn't talk. Spiritually speaking, though, I think this silence was necessary for him, and it's often very necessary for us. Scripture tells us during times of silence, two things happen. If you go to um, Lamentations, it's right after the book of Jeremiah, chapter 3, I want to show you how the writer Jeremiah talks about silence. Jeremiah is a major prophet, and then he has a minor little book called Lamentations. It's a sad book because... Jerusalem is getting pillaged and destroyed, and it's Jeremiah's song of lament. Sad. And so Lamentations 3, 25 to 33, he begins by saying, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence. When it is laid on him, let him put his mouth in the dust that there yet may be hope. And I like verse 31. For the Lord will not cast you off forever. But though he may cause you grief, he will have compassion. According to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. The idea here is that often God will discipline us, put us in time out, moments of silence, because it's good for us. It's good for us. Humility is the best thing for us. Because there's nothing more dangerous in life than believing life is all about you. That's really dangerous. And I really believe these moments of silence take our perspective off us and force us to find answers from God. That's what Isaiah 50, 4 through 9 talk about. You don't have to turn there, but Isaiah 50 is a, it's called a messianic, messianic psalm. It talks about what happened really in the heart of Jesus as he was a grown man. In verse 4 it says in Isaiah 50, The Lord has given me a tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. And he does this because morning by morning he awakens me. The Lord has opened my ears and I will not be rebellious. I gave my back to those 
who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. And the idea is that Jesus willingly submitted to discipline. Even though he didn't do anything wrong, he willingly suffered. Because in those moments, God taught him. God was close to him. God spoke to him morning by morning to know the word that sustains the weary. I think Zechariah in his nine months had a lot of time to think. He wrestled with truth, and what we're going to see later on is when he finally could speak, he was speaking not just Scripture, but words laced by the Holy Spirit's power. He met with God in this nine months of silence. Between you and me, I have personally seen this in a very direct way, how personal suffering and silence can cause a whole family to be blessed. I saw one man crush, just crush. And in his crushing, he brought life to everybody else. And, I'm, and it's my dad. My dad was an incredibly successful man until he got fired at the age of 55. Before he got fired, you could say my dad was the textbook on the self-made man. He grew up in a really poor home in the east side of Cleveland. If you've ever seen a Christmas story with the Red Ryder gun where I'll shoot your eye out, that house that that kid grew up in, my dad said, was in the exact same neighborhood he grew up in. He had a house just like that. That's where he grew up. He excelled at sports, so he got a full-ride scholarship to the University of Dayton in football. He was so good at football, he was written up in Street and Smith's magazine a couple times as a guy to watch for the new year. After he graduated, he went to the Army. He became really a well-conditioned Army military police officer. He was tough. He was a very good singer. He'd often sing. He was a crooner. He'd go into nightclubs and sing. He looked a little bit like Elvis Presley, and he'd sing like Elvis Presley. He's an award-winning salesman who won numerous trips to Hawaii, Europe, cruises, bonuses, and he was even asked to start a company until one day he was fired. He lost everything. For a few years, he couldn't find a job. He had to sell, he had to sell his house and downsize to a house half the size of the house we were living in. His pride was destroyed, and so is his self. But I have to tell you, in his dark night of the soul, he went searching for God and found him. And found him. As a result of that, so did all of his kids. Myself, my four sisters, my brother, and now as we are adults, all of our kids have been raised to know the Lord. Because I believe my dad was crushed. So it's in a real way. His period of personal silence brought him humility and understanding in ways success never brought him, ever. And I'm eternally grateful for that. It was hard. I mean, it was terrible sometimes. It's terrible to see your dad crushed, but I know he knew Christ, and I know he's with him right now, so it's worth it. I believe that's what God was doing with Zechariah. In nine months of silence, he was helping him finally see the forest from the trees. The story became clear. And if you notice, from verses 67 in Luke 1 to 79, he is going to quote an abundance of Scripture because he gets it. He gets it. 
So when his tongue was loose, the first thing it says in verse 67, his mouth, where he himself was full of the Holy Spirit, and he started prophesying. That means predicting the future. But if you notice, his prophecy is based on what he probably learned in his quiet time from Scripture, because he quotes 20 different Old Testament Scriptures. 20. In this brief, what is that? 68, 7, a brief 11, 11 verses. Quotes 20 different Old Testament Scriptures. And he got it. Now, the best way I like to look at it is in that quiet time, God allowed him into almost like his office, gave him the storyline. Sort of like, here's God's typewriter right here, and he gets the, go ahead, next, next slide, he gets the main plot. First thing he gets is he got the backstory. If you read, it says in verse 68, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he's visited and redeemed his people. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of old. So he knows the prophets were the ones telling the story for, for years, thousands of years, thousands of years. From the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy promised to our father, remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Zechariah understands the story. If you remember in Genesis chapter 12, God came to Abraham, and he said, Abraham, you're going to have many sons, and you are going to be, they are going to be a blessing to all people in reference to you're going to have a son that's going to bless all the nations of the world. It was a promise, a covenant promise, as verse 72 talks about. That's the story. The second thing that he got, as we can see in here, is he understands the conflict. Look at verse 74. He realizes what Israel and the world needs. We need to be delivered. Delivered from our enemies and really delivered from our fear of God. We might serve him without fear and holiness, righteousness before him all our days. The problem with man is we are in desperate, desperate shape before God. We need to be delivered. Not only has Satan lied to us, but we have all sin. And it caused us to stand guilty before a holy God. We stand in fear of a holy God. We are not holy. We are not righteous. And that's the only way you can stand in peace with God. That's the conflict. But he understood the solution. The solution is found in verse 69. And he raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. So you know how we're going to be saved? Through this servant of David's house. Jesus was the son of David. He's the one that is going to die for our sins. He's the one that's going to give us freedom to enter into the presence of God so we will be holy before him and have peace forever. So Zechariah got the story. He figured it out perfectly. Many people, even in our day, are clueless about this story. And I believe in Zechariah's crushing. He was able to scour the scriptures to gain insight and understanding so he knows what the main story is all about. Not only is it important for him to know it, but it helped guide him now in raising his son, John the Baptist. It's critical. 
It's critical for you to know the main story so you know how to raise your kids. So you know how to live your part of the story. Because we aren't the main actor. We're just supporting actors and actresses. So Zechariah teaches us, and if you look in verse 76 through 80, he understands his role. But before we get there, I want to show you something I found really interesting. If you go to Luke chapter 1, I want to bring you back to the story when Zechariah is told he's going to have a child. And I want you to imagine the angel telling you this. Look at Luke chapter 1. Um, verse 13. The angel says to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You shall call him his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Now look at verse 15. He, your son, Zechariah, he will be great. Like, as I was thinking about that, to hear that your son is going to be great could be the greatest words a father could ever hear. They build you up. They puff you up an awful lot. Have you ever gone to a football game or basketball game and watched parents whose kids are good? That's my son, man. He's great. You know, the scouts are all going to be after him, and my son can beat the tar out of all your sons because he's great that just feeds your flesh i believe that's why sports are so important to us because yeah we want our kids to do good but we want to tell people they're our kids man my kid's great zachariah your son's gonna be great man that must have swelled him up with pride this pride in our kids our family our clan and the greatness of our name is very addicting so to burn this natural-born pride out of Zechariah, God silences him for nine months. And what that does, it focuses, refocuses attention, so then when he's able to speak again, he gets it. It's not about my son. Watch what he says now as we go to verse 76. He's talking about his son, John the Baptist. He says, And you, child, you, John, you will be called prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. He's going to be great, but he's not going to be great for himself. He's going to be great for him, the Lord, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins, because the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. He realizes his son is just a supporting actor to promote the main actor, the Lord, Jesus. I'll show you how I'll bet this sketched out in John's mind. It's what's really interesting, if you go back a second to verse 62, when the boy was born, and they were making signs to his father, even though he could hear. They're inquiring what he wanted him to be called. He asked for a writing tablet. Remember, Elizabeth said his name shall be called John. But Zachariah doesn't do that. He writes simply, his name is 
John. One writer said, Zechariah already knows the naming of John is an accomplished fact. In other words, he knows that God already knew him before he was even born, and God already knew he was to be. John, gracious gift from God. And really, he was a gracious gift given to the world. So as I was thinking about this, here's two things Zachariah, I think, found out in his, in his time of silence. I felt, first of all, that when he writes his name is John, what he's really saying is we all are, even my son, your kids, and you, we are God's property. When he writes his name is John, it's an established fact that he's already God's property. Jeremiah says it like this in Jeremiah 1.5. Jeremiah writes, the word of the Lord came to me, saying... Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as prophet to the nations. I believe God has a right to determine what our part is we play in this story, this world. When we only see this world as ours, we begin to believe our children are ours to fulfill our dreams and to be successful at whatever they pursue. The truth is, God made your kids, God made you for himself. Himself. Did God give you your children so they'll be fat and happy? Or living with purpose? It's funny. Um, actually, I've talked to a number of people about Todd DeKrager. He's the missionary that died. Some people were talking about, well, what about his kids? Todd DeCrager went over to uh, Togo, West Africa, to be a missionary, and he, now he's dead. What about his kids? I feel terrible for his kids. I do too, but, but his kids at least have an example of a father that had more about life than taking kids to AAU basketball games. His, his kids saw a dad that really believed this story, like it's true or something. His kids weren't just watching movies. God made people for himself, not just to be fat and happy. Second thing I think what Zechariah understands, even as you read this, is we all are, his son is, in a, in a small P way, we're all prophets. He says in verse 76, uh, a new child will be called the prophet of the Most High. He was, John the Baptist was very specifically to be the voice of one crying in the wilderness to fulfill Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. But I believe very generally, so are you and your kids. We are here to be prophets. Prophets in the sense of not foretelling what's going to happen in the future, but foretelling the truth about what's happening now. And what is happening now? Well, we are to be ambassadors, light, salt, witnesses to the true king who is coming. Go to Acts 17. I'll show you what I mean. Acts chapter 17. Verses 26 and 27. Acts chapter 17, 26 to 27. It says that um, 
This is Paul talking about God's grand design for reality. And he said, He made from one man, meaning Adam, the first man, from one man, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. The NIV says he set them at specific times and specific places that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Meaning, God has placed you where you are. He's placed your kids where they are. He's placed us in this town. He's placed us in this state so that people will search for God. So in other words, we are here and our purpose is to direct people to search for the living God. In a small way, we're all prophets, just as John was. We are to be voices in the wilderness crying and telling people. We all have a part to play, but it's a supporting role part, not the main part. That's reserved for Jesus alone. I believe Zechariah really got what God was trying to say in that time of silence. Look at verse 80. I believe that time of silence caused him to be perfectly prepared to equip John to be who he was meant to be. Verse 80 said, And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. The child grew and became strong, and then he lived in a desert. Wow, that's, that's not that glamorous of a life. My great son is going to live in a desert for the next 30 years. <laughs> I think Zachariah was prepared for that. And not, that only, not only did Zachariah understand his role, but, but John the Baptist understood his role. Go to John chapter 3, verse 30. People are asking John who he is, and he's talking about his purpose in John chapter 3, verse 30. Actually, I'd like to start in verse um, 27. He gets it. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Now listen to verse 30. He must increase. I must decrease. That is the perfect fitting summary of every supporting actor to know and understand. Zechariah got it and his son got it. We are here for Jesus. The question is, do you get it? I want to finish with this story. It's, um, I have to admit, it's hard to be told. I don't like, you know, saying, really, you're not that big a deal. Uh, you're just a supporting actor. It's hard even to tell you that, you know, sometimes God will silence you and put you up on a shelf, and it's a good thing for you, so just put up with it. It's hard. I understand that. But there's a story about this lady. I've read her story a couple times, and it's fascinating. Every time I top, talk about her, is she's a lady that actually thrived when she was put out of service. Her name's Amy Carmichael. Amy Carmichael was from England, but she was sent to India, southern India, to be a missionary. She felt compelled because she heard about these girls that were sold to the, 
pagan temples in India to be sex slaves for the priests and the people that came to the temple because it was a way of worshiping their pagan fertility god. Little kids. It's terrible. This is in the early 1900s. So she felt compelled to go to India and set up an orphanage there where she would actually go to the temples, take the kids out. She would go from village to village, ask people who wanted to dedicate their daughters to the temple if she could have them and adopt them. So she set up an orphanage in um, India called the Donover Fellowship. She had tons of, tons of little kids there. When she did this for a number of years, and at a point when she was still very strong in health, she fell, and it severely injured her to such a degree that she had to remain bedridden for the last 20 years of her life. She couldn't get out of bed. She couldn't leave. Even though she couldn't walk or do activities, she dedicated her life to prayer and to inspirational writing. In her 20 years of being bedridden, here's what she said about herself. She said, and this is still fascinates me, she said, I am God's parakeet. Even though I'm trapped in a cage of a broken body, I can still sing to him. She eventually died in 1951 at the age of 83. She didn't want to be honored as a hero, so she didn't want a grave with a, with a big headstone because she didn't want people coming to her graveside to worship her because that's they sort of do that in India. But her kids loved her so much that they put up a birdbath that was just had an inscription to Ama, which means to mother. One of her favorite stories that she told the uh, kids all the time was about the neighborhood goldsmith she would bring the kids to. There's this old man, and he would sit beside a charcoal fire, and he had these tiles. And in there, he would refine gold. And he'd put red glowing embers underneath it and blow on it. And then they would watch the gold boil. And then he'd take it out, let it cool, rub it in his hands, feel it, and then put it back in and make it even hotter. And the kids, the kids are like, what are you doing? Why do you keep putting it back in a fire? He goes, well, the fire eats the bad stuff to make it more pure. And their kids are watching again. And one kid said, well, then how do you know when it's finally done? How do you know when the gold is purified? said, there's really only one way until I can see my face in it. The point is, God will do that to us. This pride we have. This, we think we are the star of the show. We're the main actor. Oftentimes, God will put us in heat. Sometimes in the heat of silence, in the heat of feeling set aside, because he wants to burn pride out of us. He wants to get us to the point when people look at us, they see his reflection. They see him. That's when we're pure. I believe that's what he did to Zechariah. I believe he's doing that to many of you right now where you feel rendered completely useless, but you're not. You're being formed into the servant he wants you to be. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we, uh, I know how very, very real this subject and this topic is. I have, I've not only seen it in the life of my dad, but being a pastor, God, I've seen a lot of people who just feel worthless. They feel either they were once respected, now they're not. They used to serve, now they can't. Nobody 
comes to them like they once used to. They feel out in the wilderness, alone, like Zachariah, silent in this world of silence. Father, I pray that this message would be encouraging to them. More than that, I pray that they'd recognize that it's purposeful. It's purposeful. Give us, God, the patience to see that. Help us to lose ourselves in your son's story. We really do love you, God, and we pray that this would be a blessing to you. We love you in Christ's name. Amen.